0: Hello everyone and welcome to the 3 d Experience podcast. We will discuss everything from business to the latest technology as it relates to the process of design and manufacturing. Your hosts for this journey are John Milbury, Technical Director for Dassault Systems SolidWorks, and me, Mike Bookley, Senior Product Manager at Dassault Systems SolidWorks. Okay, so we have another one. And John, I'm gonna take you in the way, way back machine. It would be 1998, October. Uh, I was just getting out in the real world and I had just graduated from this place called SEC Milford. And little did I know, 22 years later, lots of gray hair. I would be sitting here getting to interview the teachers that helped define where I'm at today. The cool thing is, is Lynette is now new at SEC, bringing in all this new cool stuff into what they've done. So I'm going to let it, Lynette introduce what she does and how she does it.
1: My name is Lynette Fry. I teach now in manufacturing engineering technology on the Milford campus of Southeast Community College and I previously taught for Southeast Community College however it was on their Lincoln campus in the computer-aided design program um, which is very similar but um, this program is definitely more manufacturing focused and um, I've also taught at Northeast Community College in Norfolk, Nebraska. Um, and there I got exposed to a little bit different um, areas in the industry as well. But now I am on the Milford campus.
0: You're on the good side. The manufacturing on- engineering people, they are my favorite people of all time. So <laughs> um, I, I'm super excited that you're, you're part of that group because, um, you know, it's uh, the world needs more manufacturing engineers for sure. So yeah. I, have a big question <laughs> Okay. <laughs> when I was there it was all board drafting and pencils and line weights and vellum and inking and all that you do a little bit different today right we're no we longer do. teaching that stuff
1: we're not I in fact the drafting arms are going on ebay uh as are the leroy lettering guides if you know what that is yep. <laughs> did you use one of those yep <laughs> <Okay. Yeah>. um <laughs> yeah there's there's some stuff back here that i that we're putting on ebay that i'm not even quite sure what it is and the last time i used board drafting equipment um was in and this wasn't on a job this was in school was in 1994 i think um and even when i went to college at the college i went to they had already taken it all out um and we were all on CAD. And I think, I, I don't know, there may be people that disagree with me, but I use the analogy of, you know, if we're going to teach an author how to write beautiful novels, we're not going to require that they write them with a pencil or a pen. They can do it on a word processor and still write a beautiful novel. Um, so it doesn't matter what tool my students use, they still have to be meticulous and detailed in their documentation, but it does not have to be with a pencil and paper.
0: Um,
1: yeah. That's my philosophy on it, I guess.
0: No, I agree with you in all the years cool. that I've been <laughs> out, um, which now I can honestly say is 22 years this month. Um, I've been around maybe four or five companies in that time that still did board drafting stuff. Everybody else had already transitioned. Um, you know, The only thing I saw cool come out of board drafting was one of the guys in my class drew a perfect circle with a French curve. Which was, you know, truly phenomenal because he didn't know that there was a circle <laughs> template, but that has no value in in day to day jobs. It's just, wow, you drew that with a fringe curve. So I I am 100% in support of that. So, um, but I just, you know, it's it's reminiscing to go back to uh, thinking about we did board drafting and then uh, AutoCAD was DOS when we first started. We were one of the first group classes to use um, oh. Windows based AutoCAD back then. So, um, so tell me a little bit about the curriculum and what's changed and what you do, and the type of students that you guys get out in the world. Because uh, I'm gonna brag a little bit more about SEC a little bit later, but I want you to talk about all the cool things going on today.
1: Yeah, of course. Um, well, we're doing actually quite a bit of changing. We're completely going through every class, every little detail um requirement that that may have been either a tool or or a book or whatever we're looking at softwares that we're using we're going through the whole whole entire program and since i'm new here our director just said treat it as a blank slate and so we're actually in the process of doing that right now that's what i what I was doing right before we started this talk and will be continuing doing afterwards. Um, And so I I can't really answer that right now because we're still in the process of evaluating that. Um, But we're looking at where we need to cut some hours. Um, We have our students are taking right now a little over 70 credit hours per semester and I know this is um, probably stuff that I don't know if people are interested, but Higher Learning Commission is our accrediting um, body, and and they're really pushing for us to go closer to 60 credit hours because otherwise, if you have that credit hour creep and continue to go closer and closer to a bachelor's degree, then you know they're basically saying, well, you're you're telling us that you're a two-year um, community college, but you're requiring your students to take 70, 80 hours of credit hours. And so we're trying to really lean the program down as as good as we can and still keep the very important content in all of the classes. So part of that actually does involve SolidWorks and software because things like engineering statics where the students are learning, you know, how to calculate um, how to use the flexure formula or something like that. I'm going to use SolidWorks quite, a, quite heavily in that sim, um, simulation. And then not only that, just for calculating the area, um, calculating when they s- start doing inertia and they have to start calculating areas and things like that. Um, I use SolidWorks and Excel for both of those. So it really helps to get through things quicker. I may show them how to manually do it one time, but then the rest of the time we're using tools because that makes us faster. So
0: yeah, Yeah. when I graduated from overt I had 143 and a half credit hours in two years. I still remember seeing that Mm -hmm. on there. Um because I had friends that went to uh UNL and it was comparable amount of time. But um but yeah I I get that. Like we had I'll still never forget doing Ben calculations that took a week. Everything was calculated by hand nothing was done with CAD or anything else and it's like although that cemented my understanding of how sheet metal flat patterns work I probably could have learned that in half the time if the CAD tools well for one they didn't exist back then but um using a CAD tool to be able to visualize that would have really solidified that so to me it makes sense to be able to truncate that stuff down because mm-hmm. you're still getting the same understanding but some people are visual learners. Some people are, you can read a book and learn. Some people have to touch and feel with their hands. So to me, that makes sense. Um, so in the manufacturing engineering, well, Milford, I guess first, can you explain a little bit about what Milford has, like for different types of things that relate to manufacturing there these days? Sure.
1: Milford, the main building on Milford campus is Iker Technical Center, and that is where our division is, which is manufacturing. And that includes uh, non-destructive testing, precision machining, um, manufacturing engineering technology, the electrical students, electrical electromechanical students are in that division, I believe. Um, but we have a lot of um, different fields that sort of blend together in one building, which is really pretty fun. Um, in that way, we get to share students, which I think is really important for the students as well to learn from multiple people who have multiple backgrounds and history and, you know, experiences that they can share with those students, which I think is super cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree that one of my favorite classes was uh, Properties of Materials with Mike down in the machine shop. Like that one stuck with me for a long time, oh, you know? Yes. Uh, and he- great resource for that
2: too. Yeah. He's still here.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um so with with what you do, I think a lot of people when they think of like Midwest, um they think, you know, cows and pigs <laughs> and corn especially in Nebraska. Um you guys support a lot of local area businesses. I don't think a lot of people realize how much manufacturing there is around Nebraska, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri. Can you talk a little bit about where your students end up going and who they work with and support?
1: Sure. sure. Actually, manufacturing, I believe, is the number two um, industry in Nebraska for our total GDP. So you Google manufacturing in Nebraska, I think the first three companies that come up are Lincoln Industries, Kawasaki, and TMCO. I have graduates at all three of those um, facilities, including I actually have students from all three of those facilities as well. So um, my current students are also working in industry while they're um, getting their degree. And those three that are at those companies are um, all going into engineering to sort of um, Add more tools to their tool belts and possibly move around in their companies. Um, one of one of the students that really stood out to me and I hope he doesn't get uh, uh, you know I have such modest students really but um, one of the students that really stood out was um, Dustin West and he works for Cornhusker 800 which is Nebraska Trucking Company. And um, I think Todd Blackshear told me that he was the first one in Nebraska to get his CSWE, which I was so proud of him. Um, but <laughs> as a student, yeah, as a student, he—I have lots of amazing students. But as a student, he—I um, had a job posting come in from Cornhusker 800, and I was holding it up, talking to the class, and. He grabbed the sheet out of my hand and he said, well, do you think they'll hire me, even though I'm still a student? And I think he still had a year left at the time. I said, just call them and see. Maybe they'll hire you part time until you graduate. And sure enough, they did. And he, I believe he told me he had four patents in his name before he even graduated from our program through Nebraska Trucking Company, which I thought was so cool. I was very very proud of him and I know that he's extremely successful there i I tried to hire him to teach adjunct for me and I couldn't afford him anymore <laughs> so
0: <laughs> yeah um, cornet gray hunter is they do some pretty awesome stuff when I was still in aE we used to do support with those guys um, it, and i I think that's uh, an interesting segue that you had there too because um, there's a lot of people that went to Milford over the years um, spread out in all these different manufacturing companies. And there's a lot of them that are now in management positions, co-owner positions, owner positions. And I think that sometimes when you talk uh, education, right, um, there's often a lot of things where it's like, well, especially today's world, you have to go get a four-year degree, you have to come a doctor or lawyer, or there's just no plan B, right? And mm-hmm. then if you come from the realm of uh, like I did with Milford, <laughs> like the students you're teaching, uh, there's a lot of those those areas where you can be very successful in what you do, and you don't ha- necessarily have to have that 4 your degree. It doesn't hurt, but at the same time, like if you look around a lot of the manufacturing areas, especially in the Midwest, and over like my years being an AE, I'd go walk into a company and it'd be like, oh hey, I know that person. They went to Milford, or I saw that person. They did electrical, or that person was a welder, or that person was this, and And to me, that was always one of the the cool things about um, what you guys do at SCC, what you do at Milford, um, and how that just, it's one of those things that nobody really talks about, but it is a real thing. Um, Like you talked about Dustin going to Cornhouse for 800. He's very successful. It wouldn't surprise me if he's not, doesn't end up being at the upper high end of that at some point, because, you know, you mentioned TMCO, Jeremy Fulkerts is there. He was right behind me at school, you know. Um, You go to 50. Two of the guys from Milford that were ahead of me when I started or at at Tempty. you know, it's 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 a pretty cool thing, uh, in my opinion. And I think sometimes that, that often gets overlooked. And I think what you guys teach and provide doesn't get the credit it deserves sometimes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um so did you know Shane from uh, is his last name Stevens? From uh he's at Norfolk Iron and Metal now.
0: Mm, I don't know if Shane. I know I know people at, uh, well, I knew people that were at Norfolk Iron and Metal because um, Mike Yedlichka, his brother, Rich, was my boss at Into Metal. He's now at Kawasaki with a bunch of guys from Milford <laughs> back in the day, but but I never actually met Shane.
1: Okay, yeah, Shane, when I was um, sending out emails, telling everyone that I'm at at the Milford campus now, his response was, I graduated from there. And, you know, he's he's been hiring students from me when I was in Norfolk um, for a couple of years. So such a small world and, and especially how many people graduated from different programs at Milford and, like you said, have had great success. You included. Um, weren't you our honored graduate last year?
0: Uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah. Was it
1: a couple of years ago? Yeah, it was a couple of
0: years ago. Yeah, pre-pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> when
1: we were allowed to celebrate.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So it, with uh, with some of the mixing, like with uh, manufacturing engineering, can you explain a little bit, I guess, to people that don't understand or maybe not have heard of what manufacturing engineering is, sort of what that course makes up? I know you're redefining a lot of that stuff for hours, but like, traditionally like what Milford supplies as manufacturing
1: do you mean the like laying out a plant floor
0: yeah Um, sort of like basic the fundamentals like how you guys uh get students ready to go to the workforce you know because there's like you can go to a four-year school and you can be an ag engineer mechanical engineer biochemical engineer there is some manufacturing engineering I know like at UNL but There's some overlap, but there's some difference in like how Milford has traditionally created a manufacturing engineer person that just goes out in the workforce can start on a Monday. And by that next Friday, they're producing profit for a company versus like, oh, here's a kid that's never used a pencil before, you know, that kind of thing.
1: Right. Well, and I would say that we don't necessarily know always where or exactly what our students are going to do. So one of the things at least that I would focus on the most is with respect to manufacturing, of course, um, I, my goal is for my students to always be number one, resourceful, and two, problem solvers. And so regardless of what problem comes up on their job, hopefully we've gone through some sort of exercise that they can rely back on. Um, and and go, oh, yeah, I remember having a problem that was similar to this or or, you know, I know where to find the answer to this because I have all of my resources. So I may not, you know, there's no way for me to introduce all the problems that they're ever going to encounter. Um, I, there could be jobs that don't even exist right now that they're going to go fill, you know, that are completely different than what I envisioned. And so really we just show them all the tools the best we can and expose them to as much we can as much as we can Um, but really encouraging them to be critical thinkers good problem solvers and to be resourceful Um, so whether it's in robotics or any of the machining problems they get a taste of all of the different uh, manufacturing processes as well um, because they'll take those classes. Um I always say downstairs. It could it doesn't matter that it's downstairs, but all of our machines <laughs> are downstairs. And um so they'll they'll get to run a LA, lathe, they'll get to run a mill, you know, they'll they'll have that experience that I think maybe some designers don't have and I think that's what really puts them a step ahead, or or gives them a, them an advantage in the design process. Um, if that's something that they do, regardless of where they end up, you know, um, whether it's truly manufacturing engineering, I think a lot of them end up in places where they're doing a combination of manufacturing engineering or, um, you know, like some sort of industrial design, that sort of thing. So they the graduates go into all different directions, but they they're so well-rounded that they can adapt to all of those different positions and all of the different requirements that they those companies have on those students.
0: It makes sense to me. I mean, when I left Milford, I went to uh, Agco Heston as a field test engineer, where we just went out and broke, broke stuff, right? But we had manual machines over there because we made all our own prototypes that the engineers wanted to test the equipment. Well, I was one of the few people as a field test engineer that could walk over to manual lathes and mills and make all the parts. So very quickly, I became the guy that everybody brought their parts to to make, which is funny because when I was in the classes with Dwayne and those guys downstairs in the shop, like I was like, this is sort of, it's cool, but it's sort of a waste, I'll never use this. And my very first job out, I was the guy making the stuff on the manual machine. So I, I can relate to that, yeah, very much so. Um, yeah. it, it's funny how that sort of fits in. Mm-hmm. So I, I've been asking a lot of questions. John, do you do you want to ask some questions?
2: I do, yes. But um, it's really been interesting to listen uh, to all the all the history that you y'all have together, and all the commonality. I think that's just awesome. And that I'm I'm really glad that you're on. You mentioned something um, non-destructive testing. Can you? Tell me a little bit about what equipment that you have and, and basically what do you test? Um
1: so I actually don't teach in that program. I'm not since I've only been here for three months now, <laughs> I haven't ventured out. So I'm not exactly sure what all they're um doing. I I get I'm guessing Michael would even be able to answer that question better than me. Yes. Um
0: My knowledge goes 22 years back, but (laughs) um, 22 years ago, the NDT program at Belford was like one of the best. Like they had all the cool latest technology to be able to, um, you know, dye the material, infrared, all of those kinds of ways that they would test it like that. It's its own super geek program down there, not downstairs, but it used to be over in the far corner uh, by where welding and John Deere and all those guys used to be, but, uh, um, but it's, it's an entire program all its own, and it was, like, one of the best around. I'm um, sure today it's 100 times better than it was 20, 22 years ago just because the technology's advanced. But I just remember seeing it and being like, I'm not smart enough to do that stuff <laughs> because it was, it's super, it was super high tech. So,
2: so is, it, um, is it possible that they're actually doing, um, you know, x-rays of welds in order they- to certify welds and things like that?
0: Yeah, so when I was there, they were doing that. That's why it was by the weld shop. where well, there used to be welding at Milford also back then. Um, yeah. And that's part of why it was down there is because uh, it was right next to where they test all the welding.
2: Yes, okay, perfect. Yeah,
1: and so
0: weld
1: I, is in, is, welding is on the Lincoln campus now. We have um, We have some welding here, but it's only integrated into other programs like the diesel program or something like
2: that. So. I see. So I do have a question I think you may be able to answer as well, um, Lynette. Do, you know, your students, they obviously are taking subtractive manufacturing, and I know they're going to get exposed to um, additive manufacturing. I think you were doing some of that today. Is there a particular order that you guys have them do that? Do they do additive first and then subtractive, or how does that work?
1: Uh, Physically, yes they do additive first, um, because I have them doing additive manufacturing their very first semester. Um, You know, one of the things that's really important um, in every school really is, is retaining our students and not not losing them. They have, they have a lot going on, you know, most of our most of our students have have jobs outside, they have family duties and that sort of thing. And and so it's tough to keep them sometimes because they have outside influences that make it difficult for them to go to school full-time. So sure. my, my goal is to hook them as, as hard as I can. I want to hook them. And so I have them on additive manufacturing right away because it's fun. You know, it's it doesn't feel like school. It feels like we're playing every day. And so, um, yeah, I have them 3D printing right away Um, because, again, with CAD and and seeing it on your screen, I think it's totally different than when you can actually hold the part in your hands. And we do have a lot of tactile style learners. Um, so that's something really important to them, um, and you know, I don't, I don't know that they, right off the bat, have that translation from CAD to what it actually looks like in the real world. Sure, sure. Not, not necessarily the actual shape and things, but the size, you know. Yeah. The size doesn't always translate
2: to yes.
1: You actually have the part in your hand. So um, we do all sorts of 3D printing as much as I can, you know. I just have them. They're already learning how to load material into, we have um, a couple different styles of machines, um, so they're learning materials and that sort of thing. Um, And then next semester they will be in the shop um, doing subtractive manufacturing. So their first two semesters they're already making things.
2: I love that. So um, I've got to ask this question because it's become, it's getting more and more popular, but do you guys plan on doing any sort of metal printing, maybe in the first semester, and then taking that part right over to their second or third semester when they're machining and finishing it? So the part is really a combination of additive and subtractive. Michael and I are seeing a lot of that.
1: Yeah, I've been asking for a metal printer for a long
2: (laughs) time. My manager just laughs. (laughs)
1: And then then one of the community colleges in in Nebraska got one. I was like, what? I've been asking for one for so long, but they're so expensive. I I know. There are some that are coming down in price, um, but yeah. I've been asking for a long time. Um, I think I'm going to have to write a grant. I don't know how else to get one. So uh, that's on my to-do list to contact our grant writers and get some help writing a grant for that. Um, Because if they tell me that we have money for one, I will find a place to put it. I'll give up my office if I have to.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it, it's always funny because um, it, whenever, like, it's football season, right? So, whenever you see, like, Nebraska play football and you see the Big Ten spotlighted in Nebraska, you know, and they're showing that metal printing, it always makes me laugh because UNL has, like, I think two of those Matsura Lumex machines. They're like a million bucks a pop, and they got two of them, and they showed on that video, you know, the Matsura logo and the Husker thing. And I'm like, yeah, it'd be nice if every school had the ability to have two of those in there for research, you know, it's like, it, UNL should like open up that portion of the campus to let all the schools have access to it. Cause um, it, it's just like, I, I don't know how they ever make enough parts to sustain that. But um, it just, I, that's one of the things that always makes me laugh when I see that commercial is I know how much those machines cost and I know how, probably how little they actually get used versus everybody having access to something like that. But um, yeah, They might be open to that. I guess I've never asked.
1: so. I was in Norfolk, which was two hours away, so maybe I should just ask.
0: Uh, we have from my old AE days. Uh, I can try to find the contact that we used to have that runs that department, if and see maybe maybe you can, guys can go yeah. up and show and tell. But I know they have two of those sitting there.
1: Yeah, I Jean Friesen got one in at Central Community College, and I, would,
0: oh, I was so jealous.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so jealous. Yeah. <laughs> He was just getting it set up, I think, right before COVID hit. So, um, I'm just waiting for us to be able to have some face-to-face time when I can go start tapping on his shoulder.
0: (laughs) um, Do you think he got that with uh, help from some of the local manufacturing companies? Because I know that some of the the manufacturing companies, there's like that new Nebraska Manufacturing Alliance and some of those things coming Mm -hmm. on. And I know like in other states out here, some of the companies are actually chipping in and helping fund some of that stuff because then they get to use it to see how it's going to fit their business. I don't know if maybe he's got that going on out there. I'm
1: not sure how he did. I would assume it's either that or some grant money um, because they're, they're expensive. And um, so it's possible that that's how it happened. We at SCC do that as well. So the new diesel, Technology partnered with Creek Carrier. And so it's the Creek oh. Carrier um, diesel technology. It's a brand new building. So I'm sure yeah. that I could um, find enough businesses that could help with that that would be interested in um, printing with metal, which yeah. I can't wait. So one of these days.
0: Yeah. Well, there's some <laughs> cool fixture opportunities like John was talking about, you know, being able to print a complex fixture and then just machine it machine a couple sides to the precision you need and then not have to make like five or six parts. Like, you know, there's some enticing things that, that local companies could probably take advantage mm-hmm. of. Um, yep. how you sell and pitch that, I, I'm not for sure, but,
2: <laughs> but I know
0: that like, there's some pretty cool fixturing stuff that I've seen. So mm-hmm. when you talk about students going out, one thing that, uh, that sold me on Milford in the way, way back days was the fact of job placement. Um, and that there, you know, some schools you go to, it's like, well, yeah, we're going to teach you and take your money. And then it's sort of up to you to go find a job where, um, it always seemed Milford had really high placement rates and they've, you know, have a really good connection to the community. So I don't know if it's, if it's still that way, if you want to talk a little bit about that, like to me, that's always been one of the great things that SCC does.
1: Yes. And actually, Uh, Milford for manufacturing in general has a very good reputation. Um, Even if you go out of the state of Nebraska, Milford has a good reputation. And so the graduates are highly sought after. And I don't know what the exact statistic is, so I'm just making a guess here, but I'm thinking for every one graduate, they may have the availability of 10, 10 jobs. And that depends on how big their radius is, you know, um, of how far out they're sending the resume. But but just even in southeast Nebraska, uh, there's a high demand. There's usually more jobs than there are graduates. Our placement rate right now, I believe, is 98 percent. Um, And that's not the two percent are not because they can't find a job. It's because they either chose to go in an unrelated field or they chose to continue their education. So either of those could be that two percent. One hundred percent of them could definitely find jobs. Um, And Nebraska has the lowest unemployment rates in the whole U.S. So um, if that, uh, I guess. I guess that would make it sound like there weren't as many jobs because we're all employed, but but there are so many positions I think that go unfilled because there just aren't enough uh, graduates to fill all of them.
0: Yeah, and your classes are pretty small too. It's not like we're talking, there's 400 people in a class, like it's, it's pretty small teacher to student ratio there as well, they, right?
1: Yes, they get a lot of good one-on-one um, help in their classes.
0: Yeah. Which Which is good but, for some people, yes, you know, and
1: i think I think that's true, not just in Nebraska, though, I think that that is true across the whole u s because we even had um employers from Des Moines and Colorado area coming to our facility and asking if we had graduates because they couldn't find any in their own area, so it's not just um one school it's I think across the board everyone really has a need
0: <laughs> yeah yeah well when I interviewed there's lots of companies from Kansas City that came up Black and Veatch and some of those and like some of the guys I went to high school was still work with Black and Veatch 20 plus years later um, yep. I went to Heston which was down by Wichita there was a bunch of people in the quarter ahead of me that went to uh, Boeing you know yep. school they've all went to other places now but um, but yeah I mean like it's amazing how, over all the years, I've roamed around the Midwest. Like, uh, how many different times Milford came up, or somebody knew somebody that knew somebody that was at Milford, or like Van Am Tool in North of Kansas City. Like, it was founded by SEC people. So every time they wanted to hire somebody, they went to SEC first. Like, they had all these plaques on the wall. They were really proud of the people they hired. And um, not to brag on it, but it's it's just always been interesting to me because I went to college. And I was like, okay. I'm done, I'm out, like, I'll never see or talk to any of these people again, and then, like, you just randomly run into all these people that are spread out all over that have that common connection, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, have a, bad. <laughs> I,
1: have a, I have another graduate that's working for Tesla, and I'm just like, it, it's just amazing all of the things that they do from this little town in Nebraska, you can't even imagine all the Amazing
0: things that they go out and do. Yeah, yeah, very much so.
1: Pretty
0: cool. Uh, Yeah, it to me, it's like that's one of those things that nobody ever really talks about, right? When you talk about skills gap and you talk about people adapting, you know, you sort of touched on a lot of those things of like you got to get people in the door, you got to keep them interested. There's way more distractions today than like when I was in school, when your cell phone was a bag phone at like four bucks a minute to just talk, you know, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) you know. Like, uh, coffee break time at 10 a.m. was like you went over and watched the morning show in the dorms, you know, like there wasn't a lot of distractions like there is today. Um, And then you don't get the influence at the high school level. Like when I was in high school, like all the community colleges came around, they all did their sales pitch. And it was sort of like equal opportunity things, right? Um, And it seems like today, a lot of that is sort of, Changed? It, it seems like it to me. I mean, has it really changed as far as like awareness for things? Um,
1: I think that we are all here at the community college, we are all really trying our best to raise awareness. In fact, we just um, went over our strategic plan for the next four years, and that is part of our one of our goals on our strategic plan um, is to. You know kind of raise awareness of what we do and the different programs that we have um, and also to increase enrollments especially in the stem programs you know because there's such a need like you said and i think one thing that i heard you say was about um, high school not necessarily being exposed to manufacturing and i You know, if I think back to when I went to high school, we had automotive, we had shop classes and all of that. And those were all taken out of my old high school. But I think that the pendulum is starting to swing back a little bit because there's schools like um, or or there are lots of career academies and starting to be built and in different areas that that say, okay, well, we're not we realize that we can't just send everyone to be a lawyer or a doctor at a four year institution. We need all of these pieces to make our industry work, right? And so um, the career academies have been so great for that, for high school students that are interested in something else. And then they're also getting dual credit um, at their high school and a community college or a university in some cases at those career academies which I think is just awesome I wish that I had that opportunity when I was a high schooler
0: yeah uh, I, I would have been a lot better student <laughs> because I was yeah. just lost like it you know and like even when I went to Milford like I was lost in the beginning like I didn't understand why how where Like it just didn't make sense to me right and then I see like what Sandy Creek did, where they bulldozed down half their school and put in that career thing. And, you know, it, to me, it's pretty amazing. And I, I think the, to me, the other thing that comes into play is if everybody comes to doctor and a lawyer, you pretty much have to be in a city, right? And when you look at like rural areas of the Midwest and you look at like manufacturing, not all manufacturing happens in big cities, right? I mean, you have MetalQuest Quest and Hebron, you have Tempty and David City um you know the list goes on yeah bremer up by west point i mean those are all small towns of you know a thousand or less people that Mm -hmm. employ five or six hundred people from hours away right so the problem is is if you if everyone tells their kids to become a doctor and a lawyer then all the small towns wither and die because why would i stay stay there right um so to me that's an important thing and i I think sometimes it gets missed in the conversation. I understand what the gist of the conversation is. You know, you always want your children to do better than you did. But I think that there's sometimes a misunderstanding that you could have done a pretty darn good job. And if, as long as you're happy, that's what matters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it, that's just my perception on what I see. Cause I see a lot of people that go out and get a degree because they think that's what they need to get. And then they're unhappy because they never really found a place that fits, right? Cause they've sort of just got pushed in a, in a direction. Um, right. you know, and I say that for myself too, cause I was lost for quite a long time. Like I didn't, I just, I literally picked manufacturing engineering out of a book, <laughs> like no joke. And I, I was signed up for a diesel truck at Milford when I was a junior in high school approved, everything was done. I was going to go to diesel truck. When I was a senior, I broke my neck. Doctor was like, yeah, nah, you're not going to do that kind of manual labor ever. And I was sitting downstairs uh, in the reception area at Milford, and I had to pick something because like I had like six months. Right. And back then to get into Milford for any program was a two and a half to three year wait. Yeah. So I'm I'm lost. I have no idea. And I looked down the list and it was like, oh, well, there's architecture there's computer programming. There's machining. There's manufacturing, engineering. And I was like, I, I probably sat there for 45 minutes. And I was like, well, architecture sounds a little too boring for me. Um, Welding, seems, uh, welding and machining seemed pretty cool, but then I could hear my doctor saying, yeah, no, no manual labor stuff. So I literally just out of the book picked manufacturing engineering and like for the first six months I was in there, I was lost. I had, I had no idea why I was there. It's just like, it sounded cool to be able to design something to manufacture. So my path, if I take that and I relate it to someone that goes to a four year school where there's no one that's gonna handhold you along that way, like I would have never made it. <laughs> Like I just don't remember what it made it. So when I think about um, the kids coming out today with all the distractions and everything else, like to me it's it it becomes an even bigger challenge than what I had, which was pretty small scale back then, you know. Um, so it, it's to me it's just an interesting dynamic that you guys have to deal with. And then there's also the the challenge of you know reading rulers and things like that, right? Like not everybody comes in at the same level because the schools are so different these days right mm-hmm. you see those things between the different schools don't you when that comes in
1: I I would say that is not as apparent as um, when I have a mix of traditional and non-traditional students where I may have someone that has been working on an assembly line for you know 10 or 20 years decide that they want to mm-hmm go into the office and work behind the computer instead of on the assembly line or wh- whatever they were doing. And they may not have had to use computers very often. And so I know it seems like who doesn't need to use a computer, but there are some, some people that come in and those are the ones that I really noticed. Like over the past few years that the students that come in that have gone through the high school systems now are just rip-roaring, ready to go. Like They're they're usually the ones that are like, what can I do next? What can I do next? You know, and they're just ready for me to just keep throwing stuff at them Um, because they're so familiar with user interfaces because there's so much more over the years. So many things have become more standard even across different softwares even across completely different softwares right and so they're very familiar with a lot of different user interfaces and they're able to navigate that much better than someone who's coming in with very little if any computer experience and so that's really the the place where I see the biggest difference but then at the same time if you sit those two people next to each other maybe those traditional students don't have the same industry experience. So my non-traditional students are able to bring that with them. And then those two on a team are pretty awesome, you know?
0: Yeah, that, that makes sense. There's a couple of guys. in when I went through that were, um, had already done military, you know, had been in Iraq, they were the older guard in there. And like, um, it was a great learning experience. Like I learned a lot from those guys. And at the same time, um, they they learned a little bit from us being younger, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I could see that. I didn't think about the the older group coming in that didn't quite have the computer time or stick time uh, behind the machine, but you are correct. like, um, with my kids, I, it's amazing to watch them with UI and how they understand things and it's also a little scary um, for how much things make sense to them. So um, I, I could see how that would make a big, big difference. Mm-hmm.
1: i think i take that those sort of things for granted too because um i, I start talking about things and they're like yeah, yeah yeah we got it like move on you know and so <laughs> i'm like are you kidding me i have to spend some time learning this <laughs> so um that makes it exciting to be able to go faster but i definitely see the difference in um you know just the level of of Comfort, I guess,
0: on a computer. Yeah. Well, I, I imagine it probably flips a little bit when they go down to the shop, and then you know, uh, then it's yes. that big. It's a little more scary where someone that comes from the older generation. It's like, oh yeah, it's just a lever. Just flip it, move it, do whatever.
1: Yes.
0: Yep. I can see that. Yeah. So, um, John, I've ran away with the conversation again. <laughs> I need to let you get some some questions in here. So.
2: You know, you guys are doing great. It's so interesting um, all this background information. It's really great. Um, Lynette, I have a question. Um, so Michael and I, we were involved with other schools as well. And what I wanted to ask you is, is when they go through the machining portion of your class, do they just basically build single discrete parts or Are you working on an overall assembly where the kids are going to have a goal and something that gets assembled and, uh, you know, that's useful rather than just discrete parts?
1: Right. Um, So I believe still, I don't teach the actual shop classes downstairs, um, but I believe they are still building single discrete parts. However, when they're With me in the CAG classes, when we're designing things, everything is a big assembly. So regardless of what we're working on that particular day, it's going to be part of a bigger assembly later on. Um, What's that?
2: I said, I see. Okay.
1: Yeah, because one of my biggest, um, I guess struggles personally teaching the students was we were building all these little parts that were kind of fun and you know but but they hadn't had i would hear because i was really involved with the solidworks user groups um when i was on the lincoln campus i've only been back in lincoln or this sec campus for three months now so um obviously i'll get involved in that again but um I would hear lots of different people at those user groups talk about large assemblies and some of the struggles that they were having or or issues that they were having in their models. And I would go, I can't simulate that with my students. Like, I want to be able to simulate that with my students, but I don't have a thousand part assembly and we don't have time to build a thousand part assembly, you know. And so that's one of the things that I've really tried to work on lately is every part, even if it's at the be- very beginning of our their introduction to SolidWorks, we're building parts that are later going to be used on a much larger assembly so that they can see the feature tree grow yeah. huge and not just me talking about it. Um, they can actually experience it, you know, having to manage their their feature tree, you know, because if you just, build tiny little assemblies they're like yeah doesn't matter i don't have to rename any features or you know i can see them all like it's no big deal but so i force that um quite a bit to try and make as big of assemblies as we can in the time that we have with the students does that answer your question
0: yes yeah okay mm-hmm. sure does yeah it's it's a whole different world when it all has to fit together and it gets complicated you can't call everything part one part two part three And get away with
1: it. Yeah, what was that tool that I used to have them use? Was it Treehouse? Is Treehouse still around?
0: Yep. Okay.
1: So it's interesting because I, when I was teaching on the Lincoln campus, I went on maternity leave and then I was gone from SolidWorks. My maternity leave was supposed to last eight weeks. I decided to make it last four years. And I came back to SOLIDWORKS and I felt so lost. I was like, oh my gosh, it's been four years. It's probably all changed, but it's still so natural. I just really appreciate that about SOLIDWORKS. Like it's very intuitive and natural and I was able to fit that right back in. But some of those little tools, I'm like, is that still there? I don't know, I have to go check, you know? So where do you find Treehouse
0: now? Is it still an? It It installs with the, with SolidWorks. So if, if you go to the yeah, okay. if you go to the start the SolidWorks folder, you'll see it in there with like RX and all all those. So okay,
1: okay, all yeah.
0: right. It used to be separate download, and now it's all part of that. When I say separate, right. that's a long time ago, also, but I know. Um, I but know. yeah, it, it's still in there now. So if you just go to your start and search for Treehouse, it'll, it should show up. Oh, okay, all right. Thank you. <laughs> yep. See,
1: I'm using this as learning myself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it, and I was going to bring up the user group thing because you did an enormous amount of work with the SolidWorks user group uh, for for quite a while there. You and Todd did, right? Mm-hmm. Or uh, was it Swaggin one or?
1: was one. Yep. Yes. Actually, when Todd Blackshire became an AE, he couldn't run a user group anymore. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I took over and. It, I loved it. It was so fun. He's he's running it now again, um, but it was really, I tried to leverage that as much as I could for my students. And so um, I never s- said that out loud to anybody <laughs> before, But but I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a great opportunity for me to get students connected with employers. And so I told my students, I don't care what you say, you're not busy on Thursday night because you're coming with me to this user group, you know? (laughs) And so I didn't really give them an option. I would just, if it, and our user group meetings kind of moved around at that time. Now they sort of stay in one spot, but we used to go to Grand Island or we went to Beatrice or one meeting was in Beatrice or Omaha. And so I would just rent. Make sure that I always had the 15-passenger van rented or, or reserved for that particular evening, and I would get as many students as I could in the van. And I I made them go because why not? It's it's a free opportunity for them to get more skills, more tools. I'm like you're paying a lot of money to learn all of this from me. This is one place where you can get it for free. Like How many opportunities do you have to get free education? Like, um, and then they were also making those connections. And I think the employers would note, note, you know, or be able to recognize the students that were always showing up at those user group meetings. Um, And then we started to, um, for a while, we were having all of the user group meetings at the college, which was nice because um it was familiar and everybody knew exactly which room to go to um but for a while we started doing interviews i would reserve rooms for interviews right before the meeting so that was really cool to um have the students be able to interview with some of those companies right before the user group meeting Um, and a few students got jobs that way so because like i said we were talking about this before and this was you know, even 10 years ago, employers were still hurting back then for technically trained people. And so, but lately it's gotten, gotten even more, um, critical. I feel like now I have employers asking me way in December to talk to some of our graduates in May, because by January, they all have jobs lined up. And so, um, the employers were already going to be a lot of times at those user group meetings, so for them to just come like an hour early to interview some of those students and maybe get an opportunity to get some of the top students rather than losing them to another company um, was beneficial to both, really,
0: so. Which which makes sense, and it, it's, um, to me that's a smart way to do it. So. When I was there, Mark took all of us down to Kansas City, we went to Weld Wheels, we went to Ford, and we went to some plastics company. Um, Weld is cool because now one of my good friends is head programmer at Weld, so like I was there way back when they were down in the bottoms, but, but the, the one thing that is probably better about it is I'll never forget going to f- the Ford plant down there, and mm-hmm. you know, it's all manufacturing engineers, we're in this room, this lady's going to give us a speech or give us a tour. And the first thing she says is everybody raise your hand if you're going to go to a four-year degree, a four-year school and get a mechanical engineering degree. Nobody raise their hand. She goes, okay, well, just so you know, none of you will be able to work here without a four-year degree. And it was like, oh, that, I'm really glad that uh, we went down here to hear that you can't do something. Um, so <laughs> it, it, it makes me feel a lot better that um, you – took them to user group meetings, introduced them to people that are actually willing to talk to them versus starting off conversations with, oh, by the way, here's all the things you can't do. Um, but hey, thanks for walking around. We appreciate <laughs> you looking, You know, <laughs> that, that kind of thing. So um, to me, that's a really cool thing. And um, yeah, it's funny you mentioned when Todd went to work for became uh, AE, that's when Todd and I actually got to know each other because we were both at Trideck at that time. Um, <laughs> I knew him before that, but um, that's actually how I knew how you and I met was when you were running that user group meeting because of Todd. So, um, mm-hmm. again, go to that small world thing, right? <laughs> 10, 15 years ago. So, um, but to me, I, I think the more people that get to go to user groups and get to interact with uh, businesses and owners and understand what it's like, I think um, not only do the owners get, or the people working at those companies get an advantage to mm-hmm. meet the students. But I think it also gives a real grounding for the students to really learn what the industry like like uh, as well. Because I've been on some school presentations or at some schools and they give this fake idea of what the real world's like. And then they graduate, they get out of school and they go there and it's like, oh, this sort of sucks. This isn't really what I was looking for. <laughs> so to to actually have them, you know, interact when there's no pressure and get, you know, the lowdown on how it's going to be to me is a pretty valuable. Yeah,
1: I agree. I I think in learning from peers, there's something about it that's just adds a level of validation, um, too, because I think that, I think that, I don't know, I don't know how I, how I feel about that, I guess, because I think that, And when I say peers, I'm talking about, you know, their future employers maybe. But when they hear me say something, it doesn't always ring so important to them. They're like, ah, you're just an educator, you know. Something about hearing it from the people that are going to write the check for them, for their paycheck, it's different. And it really, like, ingrains it. And so... Regardless of what the topic is, even if it's something totally above their head, I remember I took them to um, one of the one of the user group meetings was programming in SolidWorks. And I was like, okay, this is going to be a little this is above a lot of people's head, but it's really above a brand new SolidWorks user, you know. And so, even though they may have felt You know a little bored or that it was above their head. Um, There's something about hearing it from people in industry about how important it is to know these things and or to at least try them out you know and and even if it's something that they aren't going to learn at school they they very well could be using it later on. Whether they remember it is you know up for (laughs) <laughs> discussion but 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 at least they know it exists right that's the yeah. first part of.
0: It. yeah it's always funny how that works because like when I was a customer I could say something and people like oh that's really insightful and now that I work for SolidWorks I can say the same thing and they're like oh yeah you just work for SolidWorks you're just saying that and it's like you yeah. know I said the same thing before like it's still rings true it's just all perspective so um, yes. it, it makes sense uh, what you're saying as far as like you know Mark used to do that, too. Mark would say something. and I'd be like, yeah, whatever, Mark, you know, (laughs) but then I've used that like a million times since, (laughs) you know, since he made that point. And every time I'm like, yeah, I probably should have uh, actually given him a little credit at the time that he was explaining. Yeah. Um,
1: Yeah. It's funny when you're like, oh, yeah, my teacher was right. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So. So. I I know we've uh, we're getting to the end of our our time here, and um, I I really appreciate you jumping on and and chatting with us. And the the big thing is if anyone listened and they want to go find out more or they want to reach out and chat with you and you know help supply that metal printer. Um,
1: there you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> a shameless we plug. Should,
1: we should start a GoFundMe. I wonder. How much I could raise. I don't know.
0: <laughs> so so to, to propose the GoFundMe, if you're a company looking to help out SEC, uh, where what's the website? Where do they go? How do they get a hold of you? How's all that?
1: Yes. So our website is super hard to remember. It's southeast.edu. <laughs> it's just <laughs> just the word southeast.edu. And um, actually for prospective students too you can go on there and now they have virtual tours on the website which are super cool i just went through them and they set up some of those um, 3d cameras for some of the different spots on our campus so you can see the machine or the precision machining i always call it machine tool the precision machining um, area downstairs and you know experience it virtually which is Super cool. I think they did a great job on those. Um, I'm excited to see the new dorms. I haven't seen them yet because of COVID, I haven't gone in them, but but I'm excited to see them on a virtual tour. So um, that's something for prospective students. They might be interested in seeing what it looks like. Um, but yeah, do you want me to give my email address or anything?
0: If you're cool with that. Uh, yeah. Cool with sharing it. <laughs>
1: My email address is just L Fry and it's F R E Y at southeast.edu. Um and I'd be happy to talk to anybody, especially if they're offering to help fund a 3D metal printer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what we could do to help with that.
1: <laughs> or or one of those little those little uh, tabletop water jets that was next to you. Which which yeah. SolidWorks world was that? Was that uh,
0: last... Two, it was a couple years ago. Omax. They have that little one, yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. If if they want to fund that, I'll take one of those too. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just start writing my Christmas list right now.
0: <laughs> Wait, you just need to hit it. Just go on Twitter and hit up Eric Beatty. Yeah. <laughs> he works for Omax. Oh, does he? Yeah, yeah. I didn't
1: know he did. Yeah, he, okay. he
0: designs a lot of that stuff. So you just need to go hit him up, you know, as as uh, former user group buddies.
1: Well, was it... Didn't you, did you work with Jeremy at TriDec? Yep. Didn't he go someplace that he's working with metal printers?
0: Well, he he first went to Vermeer and he was doing additive over at Vermeer. And then I'm not for sure what he's doing these days. He might be doing just 3D printing. Um, Oh,
1: okay. I thought he was doing uh, metal printers.
0: He could be now. It's it's been a while since he he was actually out there at Vermeer with uh, Greg Johnson. Because Greg Johnson used to work at Tridac uh, with Todd and myself and, you know, Jason Jacobson, who's up at Bremer now. So um, I'll have to look and see where Jeremy's at these days because it's been a couple of years since I've seen what he's up to.
1: Oh, yeah. And Dick Longoria, right, is doing 3D too.
0: Well, actually, he works for Dassault. He works with John and I. He's actually on John's team now.
1: Oh, he is? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. Well, what a small world.
0: It it is super small.
1: Is he in
0: Iowa? No, he actually moved to Florida. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, he was out of Florida now. Um, Okay. Yeah, he left and betrayed Nebraska. It's it's okay. We'll slowly get over it. So. (laughs) um, But anyway, I should probably let you get back to doing, you know, your important school stuff and figuring out curriculum so um i can't thank you enough for being on here um it it's super cool and uh hopefully we can do this again thanks it was good talking to you you've just listened to the 3d experience with john and mike subscribe to our podcast on soundcloud and itunes to catch up on upcoming episodes